if, if your child's sitting beside you and you're learning with them, you're teaching them that it's okay to not know, it's okay to learn, and that you're there to learn with them and it's a positive experience. Hey guys, welcome to Bluemex episodes in 2020. We have a great lineup uh, for you guys. Uh, as you notice, we're in a new location, the Huddle Share Space. We'll be filming out here from now on. It's also where our offices are. Um, and big shout out to MCRO who continues to support us. Um, if you guys need any apps, any kind of software development, definitely consider them in your uh, process. Uh, they do a great job and they support us so they can support you. Perfect, and we're on. Okay, all right, man. I've been super looking forward to having you on and getting this whole thing going on because uh, we've been friends on uh, on Instagram yeah. for a long time yeah. and um, now is the first time we're meeting. <laughs> yeah. Funny enough. Yeah. Right. So I started following you uh, back when you were in Sri Lanka doing a lot of work for startups there mm -hmm. and uh, somebody shared something we were doing and I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? I started following your account and you were like blogging from the ground floor like Jaffna and like people like coding uh, yeah. in these institutions and all these startups coming up. And I'm like, what? Like you were a window, a gateway into that whole world that was invisible to us. Yeah. And um, really gravitated you with that and we started talking back and forth. So super glad to have you on the podcast. I'm excited to be here, on. man. Yeah. And I really want to get to that, right? So like a little bit of your story and how you got to that point of going back home to Sri Lanka and like help teach uh, kids how to run startups and all these things, right? Yeah. Um, so let's start there. Like uh, you grew up Scarborough? I grew up in Scarborough, yeah. I mean, so I was born in Sri Lanka. Uh, we, my family came here in 93. Mm. Um, we lived in Tuxedo Court, Marco and Ellesmere, um, yeah. family of eight. That's kind of where I yeah, grew up there. And then in grade eight, mm -hmm. uh, at the grade eight summer, I relocated to Waterloo. So I have eight siblings. Most of us are going to Waterloo at the time. My parents were like, we can't keep paying separate rent for everyone. Let's just all relocate to Waterloo. Yeah. So we all left. It was actually really cool because I never told any of my friends. This is like pre-social media. So I never told any of my friends. Yeah. And I just ended up in Waterloo and I, you know, lost communication with all of them for five, six years. And then all of a sudden, most of those guys ended up back at Waterloo. And so I got to reconnect with them like five nice. years later. Nice. They're like, oh, nice. we thought you died. Yeah. <laughs> you just left without saying anything. <laughs> just left. Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. Um, and then you grew up in the Waterloo area, so you saw, saw a lot of tech companies grow up and like, yeah. right, like where Blackberry was the king of the, the city at the time, right? Probably. Yeah. Waterloo's always had a cool buzz about it and mm. it's like becoming more and more popular, obviously, like everyone knows about it. But, you know, even before it, it became the tech startup scene, uh, it was always like Microsoft and Google's like go-to places to hire, right? Yeah. People like exclusively hired out of Waterloo because their engineers were smart. So there was always like a tech uh, I guess like we were always at the frontier of tech, right? Alongside like U, U of T and a couple other schools in Canada. Yep. So um, yeah, definitely a lot of like, a lot of that percolated throughout, <coughs> even when I was in high school. Like my, I had made friends with a few guys who were building websites at the time. These are like great, grade nine, 10 kids who, you know, as side hustles were building websites for small, like small florists and whatever around the area. Uh, and I did a bit of that myself too. It was pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. Got entrepreneurial right from the beginning then, right? Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I don't know if I'm entrepreneurial. I think I'm just like curious. Okay. So I saw a bunch of kids doing this and I was like, I, that sounds like it's fun. I'm going to go try that. Mm -hmm. And I did it and I was like, I like it. And that was my first taste of, you know, teaching myself something and technology. I taught myself HTML and this is like back in the day when HTML was like the, you know, like the only way to design a website. And like, this is a bit post like Yahoo GeoCities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that, but like post Yahoo GeoCities and like pre, you know, Wix and Square and all those guys. No, definitely. Yeah. So you're like manual coding for these guys. You, you learned a little bit about, about code and stuff. Yeah. Uh, did you end up going in engineering? Like, no, I did math. Math. Yeah. Okay. And that's also like, again, like I, you know, I, I, I always find it funny that you make a bunch of kids who are 18 pick their university, like their direction for the rest of their life. I chose my degree because my brother was doing math. Okay. And literally I was like, he's a guy I idolized. I'm just going to be like him. He's yeah. doing math. I'll do one of those too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And you grew up in a house with a lot of siblings, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I'm the second youngest of the eight, so I had a lot of people like, and they're all, yeah, exactly, right? And they're they're all like very intelligent, very like my oldest brother, you know, even back in Sri Lanka, like was skipping grades. They're all very like intelligent, successful people. So I just had to, I didn't have to look too far for role models, yeah. which I'm grateful for. So I just look up and go, okay, what are you guys doing, right? And mm -hmm. there's at the time there's like three of them who were in. Uh, so two of my siblings had finished math, and one of them was in math at Waterloo. Yeah, I was like, okay, there's a trend here. I'm gonna do that. <laughs> so. Nice. Yeah. And like, what got you into like the tech scene? Uh, so interestingly enough, when I was in math, I made friends with a lot of guys who were, you know, obviously wanted to become investment bankers and yeah. traders and whatever. And I went down that route and I like, I wrote my CFA, but I, 
I realized that I wasn't as passionate about like it, numbers didn't excite me. Like investments didn't excite me the way that technology did, like the way you, the feeling you get of building something, it wasn't the same. So I kind of realized that I wanted to um, be in technology, but I knew that I didn't have the technology knowledge because I spent four years learning about finance. So I was like, how do I bridge these two things? And I got lucky um, as I was graduating, there was this company called Capco. Uh, they're a consulting firm, you know, purely operating in the financial services space. Uh, they saw my resume and I guess I didn't like, I wrote, I was, was kind of clever back then. I didn't write the months in my uh, tenure for co-ops. I just wrote the years. Yeah. So they saw my resume and thought I was like, I was an experienced guy, right? So they reached out and they're like, hey, do you want to be a senior consultant at our firm? Um, and my sister, oddly enough, was working at the firm at the time. So I messaged her. I was like, hey, listen, your company's trying to hire me at your level. Yeah. And we had, a, we had a laugh about it. And she's like, okay, I don't think they know that you're like just graduating. So she put me in touch with the recruiter and said, hey, this is my, you know, my younger brother. And that, he's an intern, but talk to him. Uh, so I sat down and talked to them. And I was like, this is cool because I get to bridge the knowledge that I'd gained in the financial services space with my love of technology because that's what they've been doing. They've been delivering software solutions to banking for the last, like, you know, whatever many years. Uh, mm -hmm. It was started by a guy named Rob Habert. And like, way back, right? Um, and so it was cool. I got to like bridge those two things um, and kind of like gravitate more and more towards technology. And uh, what ended up happening was, so I went in, I did like the classic BA role, wrote requirements, et cetera. And the more, more time I spent with technologists, the more I gravitate towards understanding it. I still don't like, I'm not, a, I should never be allowed to, you know, submit a line of code into anything that's ever developed, but I have a good enough understanding of it. And I had like, I'm grateful for all my mentors too. Like two of the guys who mentored me when I was there um, this guy named John Murdoch and a guy named uh, Boya, um, I can't even pronounce his last name, but um, they were both like tech architects and they kind of like took a liking to me and I loved learning from them. So I used to sit down and talk to them about, you know, software architecture and different platforms and like, I just absorbed as much as they taught me and it made me more and more equipped, I guess, to have those conversations. Nice. Yeah. Um, so like what got, so this clearly got you more in a, like a product focused role. Yeah. Right, where you're gonna take ownership over like how things are developed, right? I mean, what skills was necessary? Like, did you ever have to be like, okay, I came from a math background. How do I understand this side of things? How do I build these things? Like, what was the process there? Yeah, I think that like, I think the thing <coughs> I got from doing math was that um, it taught me how to problem solve in mm. like abstract spaces. And it gave me the confidence that I could walk into most places and break down the problems that needed to be solved. So I became exceptional at delivery. Uh, so like, I like, you know, I, I kind of like gained a reputation for being able to walk into like at risk projects and course correct or like walk into, a, you know, a delivery that seemed impossible and figure out a way to make it possible. Right. Um, and that I think that came from the confidence of being able to like, you know, walk into weird courses about, you know, you like you start learning math and it's about numbers. And by the time you finish a degree, it's about Greek letters. Right. It's, just yeah, very, yeah, yeah. it's a very different space. So like yeah. learning, uh, I think that gave me the confidence to like do that. Yeah. Um, and then throughout my experience, um, I like, I, you know, sat beside guys who were in the technology space, learned a bunch about technology. Um, and that gave me more and more of the, like the, the vocabulary really. And that's what it came down to, I think was like understanding the vocabulary. Um, and I always like anyone who works for me, I always, you know, reiterate this, but like understanding what the person across the table from you is saying and being able to speak that language is fundamental to being able to work together. Right. And that, I think that was like the critical skill that I brought. Um, but how I got into product management, I was, you know, it was around the time when like user experience research was, uh, becoming all the rage and everyone wanted to be a UX designer or whatever. Right. So I like, oh, I'm, I'm like that too. So I was yeah, like, yeah. oh, I want to be a UX designer. Yeah. So I, uh, I took some time off and I went to Chicago and I did a boot camp on, uh, web design, like full stack web design, uh, and user experience research. But you went to Chicago just for this? Yeah. For four months. Why Chicago? Uh, I just found a program. Okay. I, I did a bunch of research. I found a program. I. I always had a thing for like, I always wanted to get out of the city. I always wanted to explore. I always wanted to do something like that. And this is kind of like a nice little first step. Cool. Um, yeah, it was, it was really exciting. And I, again, like I was lucky enough to be working for a company that supported me and they're like, yeah, you know what, this is going to, they saw the future and too. So they're like, this is mm -hmm. going to help you, um, obviously deliver a value back to our clients. So they let me go there and I spent four months there, um, learned a ton about user research, uh, that I, that I don't think I would have learned in any other space. Uh, they're called designation. I think they're still around. They're like, I was there, I think that was like their fourth cohort or fifth cohort when I was there. They're like well into their 30th or 40th cohort now. They've been operating for four or five years now. Mm. Very, very, uh, doing very well. And they've got, you know, their alumni are in very good places as well. So um, I actually think I was probably like one of their weaker students too. So I like, there's, oh, there's a bunch what, of guys. Who, what, was the, what was the call, program called? Like, Designation.io. Okay. Yeah. Um, That's uh, a code, code camp? Like, 
Yeah. yeah. And I think that I think they're teaching a lot of different stuff now too. They mm-hmm. were obviously they were like a startup when I went too. So they started off teaching full stack web design. Definitely. Um, and now they're, I think they're in a bunch of different spaces. So yeah, definitely. I mean, that was definitely an implosion of people who want to go in that field because I became such a necessary field. As technology built these apps, people are finally tuning in. It's like there's a whole science behind how the, the human uh, computer interface looks like. Right? Yeah. From the sc- interfacing with the screen, like there's a whole understanding that goes behind it. It's both an art and a science. Yeah. Right. It really is. And I think it started with uh, what's his name? Alan Cooper, mm. uh, the guy who like developed Visual Basic. He wrote a book. Um, which I think was like one of the seminal pieces in the space was it was called uh, the inmates are running the asylum and it was all about how the software developers are developing software UI yeah and like if you look at the average person and the software developer the brains are vastly different yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're designing software for a bunch of really smart guys uh, who are like highly technical and they love their widgets and dashboards and the average user is like just give me the way to do the thing I'm there to do yeah, yeah, right? yeah. so like just abstracting that and getting people to rethink um, I think that like started the movement and then yeah, a lot of people like caught on to it. So absolutely. And like if you look back at apps how they were before, it looks so archaic compared to like the beautifully designed, yeah. like, simplistic, you know what to do almost instantaneously kind of apps. Yeah, I mean like even think about the like, apps you used to use, like Microsoft Word back in the day versus like, you know, Google Docs now, like just vastly different, right? The yeah. amount of things you could do on Microsoft Word that was just so com- like confusing and complex versus the way you use, just as simple as a word processor, right? Like the way you use Google Docs today, so different. Absolutely, and like I came from a psychology and neuroscience background, so I thought UX, UI would be a great avenue for me as well. But yeah. like I, here I have formal training in understanding people, now you can apply it, for, apply it to how they use machines, Yeah. right? I mean, there must be like a synergy there. So I actually went into the same kind of, similar kind of path. That's cool. So tell me about like, so you were, what did you study? Uh, neuroscience and psychology. Okay, cool. And then you went from that into like the tech space? Yeah, so I mean, brown kid parents wanted me to be a doctor. I was really good at biology, yeah. but like it was something that interested me, but I couldn't see myself working in it. Okay. So I volunteered for a hospital uh, really early on, like in between grade 12 and I think to be like, do I want to be a doctor? Even though I got into like a human biology program, like pre-med program yeah. at UFD. And I'm like, within two weeks, I'm like, I hate this. <laughs> you know I mean, like, I, I don't, I don't like want to be around disappointment of your parents. Yeah. <laughs> just feel it. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, the, it seems to be a great uh, um, problem solving thing. I like problems. Yeah. And biology has a lot of problems to solve, mm-hmm. but I can't see myself doing it as work. It's conceptually understanding it. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. So I kind of changed within my first year, my human bio into neuroscience and psychology. So I can take the credits and I already got into that, into that, into that department, right? To be like, I want to understand people at the very least. Yeah. Right. And from there I got into sales. Cool. Right? Okay. So just do, like my, I started my first company when that kind of went down. Cause like, that's a whole different story. <laughs> that's uh, for another podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's, for, that's probably on another episode. <laughs> probably, okay. But um, yeah, one of my friends called me and he was like, he just, he was like uh, a year younger than me. He, he was like, had to, um, while working, while being in school, had to work almost full time to help out at home. Yeah. Right. And because of that, like he had an actual career already settled. He was running a department at like 19. And he calls me and he's like, yo, I've seen what you've been doing. You need to come here to this company. There's a job opening and I'll hook you up hooked me up with my first corporate job. And that's my first time doing like actual, it was a customer service role, but I was yeah. running as a sales role. Okay. And I crushed it. The first day I set a company record in like- You were uh, like the uh, customer success before customer success was a defined field. Exactly. Yeah. Because I was applying, is almost like a people problem. I want to understand yeah. people. And now I have people, hundreds of people calling yeah. me. Oh, you're dangerous as a salesman then with your neuroscience background. I, yeah. <laughs> So like people are calling me. So for me, it's a testing ground yeah. to understand all these models of like how I understand people, right? Like how people would work. We, I got formally trained on how people think and what categories they fall into and like, you know, what problems they have, how emotions work. Yeah. And now I had a testing ground of hundreds of people calling me in this call center environment and had a set goal, right? Take a dissatisfied customer and make them positive yeah. and hopefully get an upsell out of it. Yeah. And nobody was doing upsells at that time. It was not even pushing the company. Right. I just started doing it. And I just naturally got drawn to that sales role. Within two weeks, got promoted to like team captain. Within six months, I was running two, two departments. Wow, at that's 20. amazing. And just because I was, I streamlined things like that, right? Yeah. Because I, I was so interested in understanding and putting like the theoretical knowledge I've had into practice and got naturally drawn into sales. Yeah. That kind of kickstarted my sales, sales background and my sales, um, uh, I guess, career without knowing that I was going into sales. Yeah. I saw it more as an application of understanding people. 
Yeah, because I mean, I talked about the podcast a few times. Like growing up, for me, talking to people is the hardest thing. Yeah, that's why this I love so much because it seems like I'm conquering this thing that was that uh, that haunted me for a while. Yeah. So understanding people, understanding how they kind of operate from a neuroscience yeah. background, like from like a hard biology background, psychology, how they operate as a mind state. I even took like a lot of sociology, political science, like kind of uh, economics, like how they operate as a society, kind of mapped that out. So I got really interested as a, as a, as a problem. How do people f- f- flow, right? Yeah. And technology, I kind of saw when I got into it, my first technology play, technology uh, entrance into technology was when I started my first app. Right. No Which background. Was... Mapian. Okay. Um, back in like 2013. Okay. I decided um, I want to go into the technology fr- framework. And the real reason is because it came with problem solving again. How do you deploy this understanding of people, how they purchase and all that to this now machine, right? Yeah. I saw the emergence of smartphones and it changed me. Because I remember operating my first few companies and not having this smart device in front of me where I can Google something. I can search if a supplier is trusted or not. Yeah. Get their reviews, right? I can't search up people. I can't put up, put up like thought notes or anything. I have to go finish a full day of like running operations or meeting all the people, go home, sit up yeah. with a laptop. Because again, Wi-Fi points were not even a big thing then. Yeah. And then type it all out. So when smartphones came and put the internet and smart device onto your thing, it's an extension of your brain. I saw the immediate effect of myself, how effective I became through this tool. Yeah. So I want to get part of that and be like, how do we connect people better? How can we use this as a broadcast tool to connect people better in different functionalities, right? Yeah. And from there, I kind of shifted into a more product role, like where within my own company, applying my uh, understanding of how people function from all these different segments, like yeah. from the individual level to like the, you know, how they all connect. How do you connect? How do you build products for them? Yeah. That they want to use. Yeah, that's just like problem solving, right? You're like your abstract problem solving. It's mm-hmm. like I find that's the brain space, like the brain that works well in mm-hmm. product or like business leadership or strategic, like that the ability to take, you know, one set of knowledge in a field and transpose it to something else, like the yeah. ability to abstract concept. Uh, it's like what's the they say like the like the the sign of intelligence is the ability to like explain something in analogies like to find mm-hmm. analogies is like a sign of intelligence and i think that's what people do where you take like you have your neuroscience background and you go how do i find the concepts in neuroscience how do i find the analogous concepts in software development yeah. and like sales and whatever else right mm-hmm. and it's super valuable because like then you're not learning like you're not like oh well that's neuroscience and i leave it there and then i go learn software development i leave it here and then i go learn sales you're like what can i use from sales and software development what can i use from software development in neuroscience yeah and you start getting these like really cool uh cross collaborations in your own head and you become like a very unique valuable uh, member or like a, a com- competitor almost Absolutely. in this space because you're like you ravi are able to do a thing that not many people can do because you've got neuroscience and sales and tech and you're able to put it together and offer it back to the world in a space that like, or in a way that no one else can do, yep. which is really cool. Absolutely. And like when I was running like sales teams, right, I used to work for this one company where like, you know, I would directly manage like five completely independent salespeople, commission only, yeah. all commission only. The entire company had 60 commission only salespeople. And the whole task of managing was like how to keep them motivated and functioning and running and, and like on the streamline and like on like a consistent basis. How do you put the checks and balances in when you're not paying them salary? Right, right. They're all commission based. Yeah, it's yeah. such an interesting problem. Think yeah. about it. How do you keep them motivated and running when you're not, they don't have a monthly draw? Yeah. Right, but you have to have these check and balances to keep them aligned, make sure they're coming to meetings, make sure they're keeping aligned with the park materials are and all that. And again, problem solving metric, right? Applying that. So uh, techno- using technology, using a sales background, but also the neuroscience to connect people. Yeah. Right, in a, in a better, more functioning ways. And funny enough, like we're, we now develop like sales technology. I was explaining to you a little before with some of the products we're doing. Yeah. And um, one of the things we do is like it's process mapping right, from a sales organizational standpoint. And funny enough, I'm actually drawn to inspirations of how this, the back end of our product, the, the product design works is inspired by how sales like transfer information within themselves. Right. You know, and I, I see myself like we're, as, we're, as we are discussing as a company and like we're constructing this, I'm like inspired by like my old, research into how, yeah. how cells like do this because yeah, they're like, semi-autonomous right locking information together and the way the information transfers back and forth super secure but also like has like feedback mechanisms built into it yeah and i'm like what if we can do this you know operate uh, build a model of a company like a, like a process chain yeah and model a company in a virtual environment and see how all the cross flows function yeah right? using all the data points that is available from all these SaaS tools they use and uh, as we get into this kind of process thing like 
how biology kind of fits into that. It's so interesting. That, and it, like that reminds me of, so the way you think about it is kind of like the way, like, I'm, again, I'm not a technologist, mm. but I kind of loosely understand these technology concepts. So when we start talking about things like, you know, microservice architecture, yeah. I think about it similar to like cell biology, where I'm like, yeah. there are these independent things that are just, you know, their, their core purpose is to be the best thing they can be, mm. but then they also collaborate with each other um, as necessary, right? So there's like markers they send back and forth, there's information they send back and forth. And like, to me, the, the ability to take that and transpose it to like understanding, you know, what you're trying to do on the back end of your, of defining your product, like, that's going to give you the edge yeah. that a lot of people won't have because everyone else who's in the space is probably looking around being like, okay, well, what does Salesforce do? What does, you know, Cognos do? What do all these other CRMs do? And you're like, okay, cool. What do these cells do? Yeah. Right. It's just like a whole different mindset that no one else is thinking about. Yeah, it's yeah. very cool. Yeah. I mean, it's again, like, I think that's what, um, for me, like businesses or like certain startups are is to an ability to problem solve yeah. at a deep level. Right. Um, and exactly, exactly what you're doing. If if you as a company have a solution, yeah, it's to a pain point, a problem. Yeah, and the depth of that problem and the depth of your solution gets uh, it's a direct correlation to the value you provide. Yeah, and like so, I was recently reading an article about mm -hmm. how like um, the most successful products, like the innovative products, mm -hmm. are the ones that uh, like forecasted what a customer wanted, not met a customer's needs. Like you kind of you know if you think about like an iPhone, right? The, the iPhone came out and like predicted what the customer would want or solve the problem the customer didn't even realize they had, right? Mm -hmm. And the ability to think outside the box and like think about those potential solutions are what will propel a company to be successful. And it's something that, you know, like I actually over the last little bit lost touch with a bit um, because I became very like in consulting, you, you know, you learn how to deliver products. Um, and so I was very like process oriented and it's something that like Travis, my CEO and I like often go back and forth about and he pushes me quite a bit to you know, expand my, the way of thinking. And it's really cool. Like, I, I, I know you know Travis, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So like sitting down with him is like probably my, like my most favorite, you know, hours of the day. Yeah, and he yeah. probably doesn't think so. He probably thinks I'm annoying as hell. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but like, I'll sit down and I'll bug him to like, think about, uh, you know, like just, so I'll, like, I'll poke him. I'll like, I'll get him to like points where, you know, he might get frustrated explaining things, but I'll do it because I want to understand just like deeply how his brain works. And it's so cool because, uh, you know, for, as an example, we were, we were sitting down thinking through this new flow that we're designing for teachers. And he's like, I would normally be like, okay, what are the similar patterns in other UIs that exist? Mm -hmm. And he's like, what is the, what is an analogous experience to what we're trying to build outside of software? And like, just the thinking of stepping outside of that and the constant reminder to do that gets you to be so creative. So what we looked at and what we ended up looking at was like gaming, right? And like how there's, um, so we wanted to give teachers like the options to do certain things. And so he was like, what are the analogous spaces that exist right now? What are the analogous patterns and experiences that exist that we can leverage uh, back into our product and that was like a really cool moment for me to like take a step back and be like wow I've, like I've I kind of you know maybe not been as innovative as I could be um, but going back to thinking about things the way that you're talking about right like taking other spaces and bringing them into what you're doing really helps you I guess like pivot and leverage mm -hmm. uh, those knowledges yeah I mean that's again going back to problem solving and figuring things out like Travis I mean I had like I, I think I talked to you about this we had like a three hour conversation one day, like a phone call. Yeah. But your 20 minute call turned into a super long one. Yeah. And it's because it's a transfer of knowledge. Yeah. Mostly one, one sided. Travis is a wealth of knowledge. It's insane. He's so good. And you can never have a 20 minute meeting with Travis. No, you can't. No. Yeah. He already has a three hour meeting in his head before he comes to meet with you. <laughs> and he's got like, you're right. He's like, he's a Rolodex of information. He's like, oh, well, this is a, a fact, but this is also based on these four other books. Mm -hmm. And here are like five other researchers who've done this. And here's like a million data points. And you sit there and you're like, how do you keep all this in your head yeah. and how do you have the recall so quickly to like just like that's probably the most impressive part about him is that the fact that he like can pull a piece of information and like recall it right away and give you the stats about it right like oh in 2007 this guy did a research at stanford university with this mm. many people and they were discovered this and you're just like blown away by that and so yeah your 20 minute conversations become three hours then easily yeah, absolutely and like i'm someone who like prides myself in like understanding a wide depth of uh, different different things and yeah. being able to like keep up with things. But like talking to Travis kind of like shut down my ego a little bit. Yeah. And it's like there's so much more to understand because yeah, because he has that recall. Yeah. The ability to go into like detail. So, I mean, no doubt knowledge hook, like one of the main reasons you guys have done so well is uh, Travis's leadership there, understanding really where he wants to take the company and where he want to go. Yeah. Because um, he's such a, he's such a deep understanding in the movement, yeah. right, of the company. So, I mean, your knowledge, Chuck, like your journey there started pretty recently, right? Like, yeah. It, so when I came back, it's actually really interesting. Um, 
So I came back from uh, from my time in Sri Lanka, which I'll you know we'll talk about we'll later. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, so I came back. I was you know I kind of had my heart set on leaving the country. So knowledge was never even in the radar of things I wanted to do. Um, and I like I started interviewing with a bunch of places. Um, you know I had a couple offers. You know some in Australia, UK, whatever. I was exploring mm. these opportunities. And Travis and I had met uh, maybe like a year prior to me leaving the country mm. um, via Aravanai, which is the like the not-for-profit that I'm part of. Um, and we were like mentoring startups back home. And so I met Travis. He was one of the mentors who was supposed to come in. Uh, and so I met him there, and we got in touch. And then we like throughout the year, we've you know kind of like had some shared friends. We've you know either met up for drinks or coffee or whatever, just like in a in a group environment. And we'd always have interesting debates. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm anyone who knows me knows I'm a debater. And like, if I know about something, I'll like, I'll challenge your viewpoint and I'll like, I'll, you know, I'm not, I'm not scared. I'm also not scared to be wrong. So I'll challenge it and I'll put out what I think. And then if someone proves me wrong, I'll also be like, okay, cool. I'm wrong. That's great. I just learned something from you, but I won't learn if I'm sitting back and not saying anything. So I'll do that. And so we've had a couple like interactions like that. And so, um, fast forward to me being back in the country, I had a job offer I really liked in Australia. I like had my flight booked, had told the employer I was coming in ready to go. About three weeks prior to me leaving the country, Travis hits me up and goes, "Hey, do you want to grab a coffee?" And I, in my head, I was like, "Oh, this guy knows I'm leaving the country soon. Like, I, you know, or maybe he knows that I'm back in the country and just wants to catch up." We go for a coffee. We're talking. You know, he tells me about knowledge. He tells me about what they're trying to do. And like mid conversation, just kind of drops a bomb and goes, "Listen, I want to bring you in to run this new line of business we're creating." And I was like, "Oh shit." Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this, but <laughs> no, complete fine, complete fine. <laughs> so I was like, I took a step back. I was like, "Oh wow, okay." Did you guys know each other beforehand? Before, like a year before, that was it. Like I'd known him for a year and we just met, you know, I, we'd heard of each other. I've totally heard of him, right? Um, actually, interesting enough, outside of the volunteer as well, I had started volunteering with CTPA because mm. uh, I kind of like hit a point in my life where I wanted to start giving back to the community. And one of the things that we were trying to do is like the Palam mentorship program they run. Um, uh, Palam. Yeah. Uh, mentorship program. I don't know why I said it like Palam. <laughs> but yeah, the mentorship program they run. Uh, so they wanted up someone to come and speak and I'd heard of Travis and I kind of like seen him speak and I knew he was a very inspiring person. Uh, so I reached out to him to get him to come speak and he came and gave this like phenomenal talk on like just a, a really like, it ended up being a really good crash course on anthropology. That's what it really was. It was just, <laughs> like, you know, it's a conversation with Travis, right? Yeah, you hire yeah, him for yeah, one yeah. thing and you learn a million things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was like a really good crash course on anthropology. So yeah, I, I gained a lot of respect for him there. I think we'd heard of each other through various uh, like networks. And so we, you know, over the year developed a relationship of I guess like a mutual respect for each other. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and then when he called me out for a coffee, he was like, listen, I, like, you, I know you have experience doing X, Y, Z, I'd like to bring you in. I, you know, I flat out told him, I was like, listen, I, like, I'm a banking guy, like my, my entire experience has been in banking. I don't know anything about education. I can run product, but I don't know anything about education. And he's like, that's cool, we have a lot of education guys. We can, we can prop you up there. You're bringing the product leadership, right? Like, yeah. And so it was really cool. So we had the conversation. I, you know, I met with everyone else on his, uh, on his startup team. Like met Lambo, his other co-founder, Arthur, James, Kamar, his CFO. Like I met with all the guys because I wanted to understand, you know, what they were trying to build. Um, and also, this is probably the first time in an interview process that I kind of like made sure I was very thorough and made sure I met everyone and understood the the strategy and where the gaps were, where the strengths were, uh, and also made sure that like I was bringing in something that people thought I was valuable, right? Uh, so we had that conversation, and then like three weeks later, I you know. To the disappointment of the Australian employer, I emailed them. I was like, "Hey guys, I'm not like, there's no longer. I'm not coming anymore." I said yes to Travis. Started in August, um, and and it's been a crazy journey. It's been a crazy journey because I like I don't know anything about education, and so I've like I've been trying to read as many books as I can. And specifically, the problem so Knowledge Hook um, is an instructional guidance system, and the problem they're trying to solve is how to scale teachers to empower students, right? Um, so you know you have like some billion amount of students in the world that need to get taught and like some, you know, 100,000 million teachers out there trying to do this job, right? It's just really hard to scale. And then obviously within teachers, you have a distribution of people who are, you know, exceptional teachers and people who are novice and people who are struggling in certain spaces. So you have a website about this, right? We do. We can bring it up. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I just want to show people what what, um, we're talking about here. So, so this is the main website here? This is, so if you just click on the top left, the Logic logo, yeah. They all can switch that over. Uh, so this is the main website, so knowledgehook.com, you can definitely check it out. Um, so the problem they're trying to solve is how to help teachers <coughs> scale. So there's assessments you perform in classrooms, uh, we collect the data in the back end, and what we do differently from a lot of other products is we actually teach the teacher. So rather than just telling them where the students are struggling, we go, hey listen, students are struggling with, for example, like perimeter and area of rectangles, right? Here's a concept they're struggling with, 
uh, in your classroom. Here is the, the math background on how you're supposed to teach this concept. And here are like four or five different common misconceptions. So where students normally struggle and here's how you can solve it. And like our secret sauce, I would say, is probably the fact that we're working with the guys who wrote the textbooks on this stuff. So one of the guys we have on our team, Chris Kirkpatrick, um, I don't know, you remember that like grade nine uh, math textbook with a roller coaster on it? Yes. Like, he's the guy who wrote that. Okay. Right? Like, so we've had, we got the guys who wrote these textbooks writing the, like the math background material for us. And then what we do is we redigest it and put it in a way that teachers can use it. So that what we're doing is telling a teacher like, hey, this, I think you're struggling with teaching this concept because your, your class is saying X, Y, Z at the data point, right? Here's some material for you to get better at it. So we teach those guys. So you're like empowering and smart, making teachers smarter. Right, because we think it's a longer term solution. Like if I, if I go and teach the student for you, that's fine, the student's gonna get better, but you're never gonna scale, right? But if I train you up as a teacher, that's a very long lasting solution, right? Now you're like, if I teach you how to teach perimeter and area rectangles, and it happens like maybe once or twice in your classroom, I guarantee you the third time you're not gonna make that mistake again. Now there's a thing that you as a teacher are better at, right? And now we've scaled you up. So every future class going forward, Mr. Ravi is gonna teach it properly, right? So it's, it's a cool like longer term solution, uh, which I think is what's differentiating us in the space and why I think it's been successful. And again, this goes back to like Travis's genius, right? This is the way he thinks about stuff. And he's like, how can we solve this problem in an innovative way that no one else is doing it? Yeah, right? I know something that really he obsesses about because he experiences pain point. He yes. understands how hard it is and not be taught properly. Yeah. And I mean, I understand that too. Like school's never a place for me. So yeah. understanding how using data to better track how students are learning and not learning things and get, empowering teachers to have a response. Yeah. I think that's really amazing. And we talk here a lot, especially on the podcast, about the future of work, what that looks like. Mm -hmm. And part of that is retraining our citizens, right? In a w better way of understanding and learning better, utilizing technology. Yeah. I mean, what do you think? Like, you guys are clearly putting smart instruments into, the, into, into schools. Yeah. Right? But at the same time, like, the Ford government is trying to pull almost like instruments out of these schools, like, yeah. put away your phones, no phones allowed kind of, kind of issue. Well, in the workplace, everyone's using their phones. Yeah. Personally, everything's kind of cross-connected, right? So it's like, we're almost, shouldn't be banning it from our institutions, more like integrating into like how to better not get distracted. Shouldn't we be teaching those kind of things? Yeah. Your point, uh, technology is across everywhere, right? Like we have devices in our pockets and there's benefits and downsides to them. So something I do quite often is I put my phone on this thing called like, I don't know if you've seen the new like Google features on their new OS, but they have a, a feature called like focus mode uh, where you can disable certain apps notifications. Mm -hmm. And so during my like nine to my, my core hours, I have focus mode on. And so certain uh, notifications just don't come through. So, uh, and that's because to your point, phones are everywhere. So they have the benefit of allowing you to have real-time interactions with your teammates, allowing you to look up you know, data on, on the fly. There's, it's so empowering, but it's also potentially distracting, right? So like, that's the thing that I've learned to do. And I think that um, to, like, technology has a place in the classroom. It's not the only thing that should be used in the classroom. Yeah. Um, and it's something that like, Travis and I quite agree on as well, is that you know, we don't wanna, um, like not to obviously not not to like discredit any of our competitors or anything, but like if you look at a prodigy, a lot of prodigy is a super engaging gaming mechanism, and kids are like on it. And one thing that Travis and I agree on is like the screen time is important. We don't want kids to be on these devices all day every day. What we want to do is interface with them often enough to give them the value add, and then step back and allow mm -hmm. them to enjoy their lives. And I think that's the thing that classrooms should take is to teach kids how to use technology in a responsible way and then step back from it and go, okay, how cool to balance guys. It. Yeah, phone's away time, now we're pulling out our protractors and doing stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we're pulling out pencils and papers and doing stuff. Like, so you kind of like have that blend so that when these kids are stepping out into the regular space, they're not like glued to the phone on TikTok and Instagram. Yeah. They have the mindset of like, okay, well this was fun, but I'm gonna put it away and go play soccer with my friends. Absolutely. Right? And this is one of the things too, like these devices are made and the applications on them are made as dopamine machines, right? To get them, get people addicted and get those kind of feedback systems. Yeah. To like, you're, it's training you for the, for the screen time, get feedback from this device. Yeah. So for a lot of kids, I mean, when growing up with it, there's no defense. Yeah. Right, you're, you're growing up with it, your systems are being in, uh, trained um, by these systems, right? Yeah. By these external things. And I think we need to have that kind of uh, thinking, absolutely. It's to establish that in their institutions, right? Especially in schools, like, okay, not just banning it and yeah. you deal with that problem separately on your own, 
but okay, how do you deal with that yourselves, right? Yeah. I mean, part of what's interests me a lot about what you guys do there is your approach to all this, like what you said about screen time. Do you guys use, do you guys, have the classrooms, um, do they have specialized devices to use Knowledge Hook or does it bring your own device? How does that work? It's a complete SaaS product, right? So you can, like, you can BYOD. Uh, there are some interesting partnerships that we're, you know, looking into to empower classrooms that can afford devices. Um, but that's like down the line. But yeah, this is a complete like SaaS product, bring your own device. A lot of schools have devices. So most of them are like Chromebooks. Mm. So all the kids get like a little Chromebook or a tablet and they, you know, uh, there's, there's features there. And then uh, we recently developed a pretty cool feature that just we just deployed, like uh, um, it's called Snapshots. And it's basically the ability for uh, kids to like work on a problem take a picture of it and in real time have that projected onto the screen. Because typically what you do right now in a classroom is a teacher will go, okay, everyone like pull out your whatever papers, draw this something or other, and you walk around as a classroom and you talk to each other one by one in the desk, right? That's just like, that takes a lot of time and it's not as uh, optimized. And so what we decided was to develop this feature that allowed the students to like on their device, like this is what, this is the, the device interaction, right? So they're doing it on hand and they pull out their device and they take a picture and then it goes onto the screen. So now the teacher can at scale talk to the classroom about what they just did. So she can say like, draw a triangle everyone and take a picture. Kids draw a triangle so they still learn how to do it with their hands, but then they take a picture and it all shows up. Nice. Right? So like, that's the kind of the blend we're trying to take um, in how we think about our features and how we think about enabling classrooms. It's not, to, it's not to take away the teacher. I think, you know, the human interaction still plays a valuable part in the education, um, like the education process, right? Like, I think, you know, I'm, I'm not a, like, I'm not an anthropologist or a scientist by any stretch of the word, but like, I think mammals, um, you know, like the reason we're smart is because our ability to learn from parents, right? And that requires a human connection. And I don't think you can put a computer in front of a child and go, okay, good luck, right? So you need that human there. And so we, our approach is like, we're not going to displace the teacher. We want to just empower the teacher, right? Give the teacher everything they need to make this interaction more seamless so they can be like, they can, you know, uh, just be more efficient and effective. Like, if you, if right now your, your success rates, like 70% of your kids are getting 70%, mm -hmm. we want to see you get to 90. We want to see you get to a hundred, right? How do we help you get there? That's the things we're trying to solve. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, yeah. And, um, I, mean, I think that the right approach to it, I, mean, I think too much people fear or have anxiety about technology and automation. Yeah. They're like, oh my God, the machines are going to take over. I'm yeah. going to lose my job. And like, kid, like you're not shipping your kids off to a farm, right? Like they're gonna leave the classroom and they're gonna see their devices. They're gonna go home and like parents are still giving mm. them laptops and iPads, right? So I think it's, you know, it's like, uh, it's like teaching kids accounting, right? It's just, it's giving them the tools to like be empowered to face off in the world they're inevitably gonna be in. They're gonna have money, they're gonna have technology, they're gonna have sex. Like teach them how to do these things responsibly and then step back, right? right. And yeah, that's one of the main um, points of thought that schools have struggled with, right? Are these institutions where you come in and you re retain like a fixed curriculum? Or are they more yeah. public institutions they come in and they learn a framework that they, they, that they fit into their own lives? Yeah. And it's always been like a, almost like a pull and divide between the two. And I think part of what we're pushing everyone towards, I think a smarter play, is to have schools almost like this institution that's a framework. You come and learn different things, but you teach yourself how to learn. Yes. You teach yourself how to use technology, right? You get these kind of best practices. Yeah. Kind of applied to you, which, but then you have the freedom to kind of like move around in. Yeah. And that's going to be the interesting part, I think, as, as schools evolve, because we understand the pain points of like. <laughs> we went through it. <laughs> went through yeah. it, right? Yeah. Um, like migrating that kind of like academic, almost like fixing green thought pattern to like applying to the real world. Yeah. You know, how do I buy a mortgage when I came out of like a 12 year, you know, 16 years of school? And not even knowing what the word is, word yeah. is, right? Like, yeah. Or even going into school, like, there's something I didn't think about at all. But going into school, like, I never thought about, like, the concept of having debt and having to pay it back when I graduated never crossed my mind. So throughout university, like, even though I had a co-op job, I never thought about saving the money. I was like, I was enjoying my life. Yeah. I was like living my best life, right? And then I came out and I was like, holy crap, I have this massive debt. And also, I should probably think about buying a house. How do I save up and pay off a debt and buy a house and all this stuff? And then like with housing prices skyrocketing like two years after my graduation, like how do you think about it? And it was, I was like just insanely unprepared to face off with that, right? And that's the thing we want to change is uh, to your point, like all the stuff we teach in classrooms right now, even when you, like you asked about the future of the workplace, right? Like the, a lot of stuff's getting automated. So all that stuff we're teaching right now is kind of, you know, it, it's, or not teaching right now, sorry, the way we were taught before is not the way to teach anymore. 
And there's actually, it's interesting. It's a good segue into like what I'm trying to build on the, yeah. the parent side is um, the way we were taught, like you and I probably learned multiplication tables the way uh, like the classic, you know, the classic Kumon method, right? Yeah, like yeah. one times one is one, two times two is four. <laughs> like yeah, you just, the tables. The tables, you just memorize them, right? That's not the way kids are learning multiplication anymore. They have these like whole new concepts of like, um, like, you know, number bonds and these different shapes that they learn how to like place numbers and their relationships together. They learn to think about them in abstract ways, okay. which is useful because we used to need to know how to memorize because we need to recall. I need to be able to tell, a, you know, when I saw numbers, I need to be able to multiply them in my head right away. A computer can do this much faster and at scale. The kid's value in the future is not going to be able to, you know, recall these math facts, right? Perfect. What right. they're going to need to know is how to abstractly solve problems yep. so they can be valuable in the workplace and be valuable in society and the economy as a whole, right? Um, so, like, that's changing. And so, one of the things we're trying to build at the Knowledge of Parents site, if you want to pull that up, is um, the, 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 like, the disconnection between uh, parents who've gone through <coughs> math education um, his, like historical math ed education, feeling un, uh, unequipped or unskilled to face off with their children. Um, it's the previous site. It's the unequipped or uh, unskilled to face off with their children in, um, the, in the math space, right? So like if your kids are coming up to you saying, oh, well, you know, what's like, mom, help me out with this. What's three times three? And your, 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 uh, your, you know, your, your go-to method is like, yeah, you just memorize these tables and you just know that three times three is nine. That's yeah. just it, right? But the way they're teaching kids is so different. And so parents are getting scared to interface with their kids because the things that they bring home homework that the parents don't even think they can teach, right? And that's for a parent who knows math. And yeah. there's a bunch of parents who don't know math, who like have struggled with math and their, their MO is to say like, oh, well, I sucked at math, so it's fine if you suck. We want to change that conversation, Ooh, yeah. right? So um, what we're trying to do is, empower parents to have the conversations and to join their children on the journey of learning math, right? Like the kids are going out and learning this stuff. If you weren't good at it, that's fine. You can learn it now. You're still a oh, lifelong, that's really interesting, yeah. you're still a lifelong learner, So right? you're kind of like bridging this whole ecosystem, parent, teacher, students, yeah. kind of bring them together into the knowledge hook ecosystem where they're, everyone's learning. Yes. From the interaction, the kids are learning the knowledge, exactly. parents are relearning, teachers are learning how to learn better. It's all about the growth mindset, right? Yeah. It's all about that shift into like, being an expert doesn't mean you were born with this knowledge and that's it and it's fixed and it's cemented. It's that like, we're all on this journey of learning. We're constantly redefining stuff. And like, even if you think about all the things you thought were true 10 years ago and how many of them have changed, like the world is evolving so fast that the ability to learn and grow is far more important than the ability to have known something, right? Like you got to constantly be challenging yourself. So we're trying to like, you know, um, one of the ways that we think about it is like, I don't know, like the, you know, the old adage of like the African proverb of like, it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to educate a child and yeah. there's people around that child on their journey. We're just empowering the people around the child. We're like, okay, teacher, here's some stuff that'll help you be a better teacher. Parent, here's some stuff that'll help you face off with this you know, child. And there's you know, everyone else in that journey. Like how mm -hmm. can we engage and empower those guys? So at the end of the day, what we care about is you know, empowering the, um, you know, I'm probably horrible for not remembering our slogan, but like, it's like empowering the children or problem solvers of tomorrow, right? Um, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to like empower the people around them to empower the, the children. And yeah. so like the parent part is that's what we're trying to do is, you know, enable the, the parent to know enough, join the journey. And I think by virtue of joining the journey, you also teach your kids this value of um, like humility and also growth mindset, right? Like, okay, I don't know math. That's cool. Let's learn it together. Like if, if your child's sitting beside you and you're learning with them, you're teaching them that it's okay to not know. It's okay to learn and that you're there to learn with them and it's a positive experience, right? They're, they're suddenly like, okay, cool, that's fine. My dad's struggling with this, my mom's struggling with this. We're both learning it together. Yeah. And that experience itself cements like this cool growth mindset in the child. Yeah. And they take that going forward. They're not scared of, being, of, of not knowing something. That's amazing. And they're able to approach problems that they, they've never been able to solve before and not be afraid to look dumb, yeah. right? Like, if you guys are truly successful, right? Like, I'm, I'm, you're, you guys are in the right framework and all this, right? You're gonna end up changing a part of society. Yes. Right? Like that's huge drop rates of people who don't get the support they need. Um, kids don't learn. Parents get intimidated by being part of this process. Teachers who don't get feel like they're appreciated enough or kind of invisible. Right? So you're kind of bridging all these gaps and bringing people up to a more equal yeah. playing field. I mean, do you have, you guys think, think about it eternally? Like how the culture is changing if your product is like widespread and actually being used? I mean, it's not a conversation we have. I think it's in the back of everyone's head. I think like in the back of everyone's head, we kind of feel like we're really changing the ecosystem and we're, 
like we're changing the system without supplanting the system, mm. right? We're not like coming in above uh, like a Khan Academy and be like, okay, cool. You guys aren't doing it right. We're just going to do it better. Yeah. We're kind of like in the system changing it slowly. Um, but I don't think it's something we talk about often or at all. I think it's, we're kind of doing it one at a time. Like, I think we all have in the back of our heads that this is a change that needs to happen. How can we empower it? Right. right. Uh, but we're, we're attacking it like one student at a time, one school at a time, one teacher at a time, one feature at a time, you know, one product at a time. It's just kind of like taking the next steps. But in, the, but in our heads, I think we have a vision of what we want education to look like and what we want everyone to feel like, right? And it goes back to your story about Travis, which is like Travis, you know, struggled with math and it took you know, it took moments of, you know, certain realization for him to feel, um, I guess, feel empowered enough to approach math, right? Mm. And he was lucky enough to have a father who was a person who taught math and he had that like support system and he eventually went on, went on to do software engineering, right? Like that's a, you know, one of the toughest programs at Waterloo. And so that journey, we want to, we want to empower people around the child to provide everyone the support so that everyone who wants to become a software engineer can become a software engineer. Not that everyone should, like, I don't want to propagate that, but like, you know, everyone who wants it can go totally do it. And people, even people who don't want to do it, like I want them to feel comfortable with numbers. And, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? No, I mean, that's, uh, that's a great uh, thought pattern to have, right? And um, I mean, one of the things that really interests me is like, when you go, I went on YouTube once and saw like a two-year-old, I think, who is playing, looked up and it's like, hey Alexa, and asked some question. I think it's like, why is the sky blue? Yeah. And got the answer, correct answer. Yeah. Right? It's like, oh, like the actual science behind it. And it probably, the kid probably didn't understand most of it. Yeah. But it was, she's like, they like thought about it and then went, struggled and went to play. Yeah. yeah. And you think about how many times throughout history, probably, like how many billion times the kid has asked a question and it's like, shut up. Yeah. You know what I mean? The answer is, go away. You're yeah. annoying. But now they can interface and get the knowledge they need and kind of pursue their own thought patterns and, and things, right? Like, that's the great equalizer that technology is. Yeah. And part of what I love, you guys, the fact that you're doing is, like, I think about that a lot, like using voice and how that's going to change the next generation. Like I do a lot of some work with some high school students where I can pull in high schools to do, do talks or seminars and stuff. Yeah. And um, one of the things I, I tell them is like, listen, you guys are in a weird, you're the weird lost generation. Because you yeah. guys are growing up with like, with like these devices and yeah, you think you're plugged in. But the generation that's falling under you are native. By the time they're getting use of voice, yeah. by the time they're your age, they can tell like, hey Alexa, hey Google, program me this. Make yeah. me this side app. And the voice will abstractly construct something that'll do something for them. They can play a game with or do something with, right? Yeah. Like we're already automating away technology, like uh, actual software development into these kind of products. Yeah. So it's like, how is society evolving? I, I, I actually like thinking about this a lot. For sure. Right. You see that new Google acquisition? They like acquired this uh, codeless app development framework. Yes. I forget the name of it, but that like yes. that blows my mind. Like mm -hmm. that, that technology like that exists, and then to your point, like all the the automation, the NLP, all the stuff that's coming into play. Like the world in five years is gonna look so different yeah. than it does today. <laughs> like one of the coolest things, Webflow. Yeah. Came out. Like you talking about web development, right? Mm -hmm. Me too. When I first got into code. Like this is only a few years ago, yeah. but like uh, the first thing you learn is like how to code a website, HTML, CSS, and yeah. like how to all interface together. But now there's this thing, just like Wix or these website builders, you can plug and play. Yeah. Like you can just literally drag things in and tell it what to do. It doesn't just do that. It, in the back end, it natively codes that interaction, that drag and drop into actual HTML, CSS, and builds an actual code base, yeah. which you can flip to and hard code changes to if you want yeah. to. And this thing is coding for you through a drag and drop, drag and drop like UI. Yeah. Right through like a. Through it's a, like the new. I've I've heard about Webflow quite a bit lately. Like they've like I think they're like, you know throwing oh, they're pushing, and square they're out of pushing it. Yeah. Hard. They're pushing it out of the market. That's pretty hard. cool. But like again, this is like the movement towards that, right? The yeah. next level of SaaS is the things that can automate away, that automate away in web development. For sure, all right. the stuff that can be automated is going to get automated, right? Yeah. That's just like the natural progression, and like. I mean, that's been happening throughout history. Like we've been automating whatever we can. And now we're just at a scale where we're automating, like we automated like physical tasks and then we automated, you know, now we're automating like knowledge workers. Right. Yeah. And like that, that used to be the thing that couldn't be automated. Now, like this is why we're working on, you know, training up students to be able to think abstractly because the mm -hmm. thing you can't automate now is like that abstract thinking. And even with like ML and stuff, there's like to a degree you can abstract some, like some level of abstract thinking. Right. Absolutely. Have you seen like, uh, what's the, is the Google, um, the thing that like paints, I forget what it's called. Oh, the AI painter, right? Yeah. It just paints by itself, like through an abstract concept. Yeah. yeah. Like that blows my mind, right? That these, uh, these things that we think are like human and not automatable are becoming that way. Yeah. Which like is it's constructing uh, art. 
Yeah. Like it's taking something and it's turning it into something else. It's yeah. more creative process that is not predictable, but it's not actually pretty predictable. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the interest of it, right? So part of like my, like, uh, part of my journey into this thought process, right, was this uh, talk I listened to. I think it was on the Joe Rogan podcast, might have been different. But the idea that, you know, we change as humans. Like, yeah, we, we think of technology as something that's like changing us now, but we've always been changing. Technology is always like uh, technology is what makes us human. Yeah. Right. So yeah. we think about like, oh, nowadays we're so antisocial because we have the devices. You know, that meme from the 1950s, people sitting, sitting sure. in the subway yeah. or the bus with a bunch of um, newspapers in front of them, yeah. ignoring each other. Yeah. That, so the idea is that technology has always been there, just showcasing what we are. Yeah. I don't think we've been hypersocial animals ever in history. Like. I don't think cavemen used to like walk over the next caveman like, yo, what's going on, buddy? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> I think we're pretty antisocial. We care about our clique and we, that's it. Yeah, right? yeah. So we just, were, we just found ways yeah. of working together in, in, yeah. like a, in a bigger group. Yeah. But yeah. Absolutely. You take away, you walk onto a bus and take away everyone's phone. They're not going to start talking to each other. They're going to look off at whatever ad they can look at or like yeah. look out the window, right? No one's going to be like, oh, how's it going? How's the weather? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't care. Like everyone's focused on their own thing. So mm -hmm. I don't think. I don't think, and you're right, like in the definition of technology is so like wide, right? I think nowadays we think technology is like an app and software, mm -hmm. but technology is, you know, the, the robots that are, that were building cars, the, it's the assembly line, it's the, like the wheel, fire, the stone tools, like those are all technologies, right? The thing you used to crack open a nut, like that was a technology, right? So, yeah. so going back to what technology makes us, right? When the example used was fire, right? Before, yeah. like when fire became a technology for us to use, it changed us physically. For it sure. killed away the gut bacteria that we had that could consume uh, uncooked meat. Yeah. It got us the ability to consume more calories per kilogram of like meat and things consumed, right? It made us more functional as like as beings, yeah. right? And like maximize our potential. It changed us physically, changed us socially, it changed us all the time. So we look at how technology and our interaction with it is, it shouldn't be something afraid or we should be thinking about as like an external entity being created, but it's actually making us Right, and I think that's a framework that I like when, like, people, especially people working on projects like yours, we're using technology to empower people, yeah, rather than take away. And uh, I mean, part of this podcast, part of the reason why we're doing like uh, the future of work, like we're we talk a lot about it, because I was actually doing sales for a lot of automation companies, mm. right? So I was doing freelance sales for automation companies, and I get to a point where I realized if I were successfully made a sale, somebody lost their job. Yeah, there was a point where I was I was doing sales for this automation company, uh, it's process automation for like um, for like fulfillment centers, and every time I made a sale, like anywhere from a team of three to four people, their job is basically obsolete. Yeah, Either they're gonna downsize to one person just to have like a human person overseeing the process. Yeah, or those four people are gonna be gone, and you know I always framed it as like, oh, you know, you're taking away this X amount of work you know, the company will utilize people separately in other ways. Yeah. But not really. Yeah. Right? That can kind of happen in a smaller firm, but bigger companies, oh, your specialized job is gone. We don't need you anymore. Yeah. So it comes back the way of like skills training and retraining. And I mean, have you guys thought about a platform, applying this platform for like retraining on people later on in stage for a different age group, for different... Um, That's an age? interesting application. It's not something that we like, it's not something that we, you know, thought of as a core offering for us. Um, and it's mainly because the way we format a lot of our content is like the stuff that we put to teachers speaks a very specific language that like no one else other than teachers would understand. Of course. Um, and the stuff we create for kids is very specific to like we, you know, we tailor it so it's a voice that's comfortable. Um, we, we do this uh, video series called like Math Huddles. Mm. Um, and it's like a small three, four minute video where you come in and you like it's a hyper focused video on like a specific topic. Yeah. So, you know, like adding, you know, adding or uh, comparing integers. Um, with a tile model, right? Which is like a model that kids learn. Um, so like, it's a very hyper-focused thing, but the way we do it is we speak it, you know, we use, we use a voice uh, and language that's approachable for like the grade four student who's learning that. So it's not as easily redeployed, but it, I don't think it's too far of a stretch to be able to say that you can take this, you know, these video series and have an adult who, you know, historically didn't really know too much about math and, or like is struggling with certain concepts and being able to redeploy it for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. I used to put it out there because like, I, I feel like there's a big need coming up for like the retraining of like the expired workforce. Yeah. Right. Um, but uh, it's cool that you guys are focusing on the next generation, of course. Right. Yeah. Retraining them and retooling them within the infrastructure that we already have. But uh, I mean, before our time is up, I really want to revert back to what we originally it's been an hour. connected wow. us. Almost been an hour. Right? Wow. That's crazy. It flows. Yeah. Man. 
But uh, yeah, your work back back home. Yeah. Right. I really want to touch base on that. We talked a little bit briefly about it, but I want to take the time to like really spotlight that because I thought it was really important. For work. sure. It's something that I'm really passionate about. It's like, I, you know, one of the things I've tried to do is like whittle my life down to a few passions. And Adam Renee is one of the things that I'm super passionate about, um, which is the ability to add value back home. Uh, and I've like historically not been able to get my mind to a space where I thought I could add value until I connected with these guys. Uh, so there's uh, Sen, Rajan, Amalin, uh, and a guy named Bhaskar who kind of formed the board members of Adivanai. And what we've decided to do is partner, or we're the Canadian arm of an organization that operates out of the Silicon Valley called ITEEF. Um, oh, yeah, okay. I, I'm sure you've heard of them. Yeah. Uh, they're like, yeah, there are some successful Tamil entrepreneurs who work to basically empower uh, technologists back home. Um, and so what we've started doing over the last two years is really uh, partnering with there's a group called the RLIT Hub. Mm. Um, it's about like 10 years old now, run by a guy named Sayandan. Very, very passionate guy. They've scaled up to this massive uh, organization. They run annual uh, startup hackathons where kids come in and you know, have a pitch competition. And the way we got involved was Sen was, you know, Sen had partnered or worked with Sayandan before and said, there might be an opportunity for us to level these kids up before they actually go into their pitch competitions by putting them in front of entrepreneurs who have you know, done pitches and can help them curate it. So that was the, the event I told you about where I met Travis, where we yeah. actually, we all hopped on these Skype calls, had these kids pitch to us, we give them a bunch of feedback and told them this is how you can reposition your pitch. We work through the business planning with them. We'd like, you know, challenge their financial models or teach them how to develop a financial model, challenge their product roadmap, et cetera. And what we saw were that the, uh, the judges that we brought in who were, you know, again, like high power executives from around the world who came in to view these uh, competitions, gave strong feedback saying that these, the children who are pitching now, or the students who are pitching now are far more capable and far more prepared. Amazing. And so we did that. And then um, that evolved into us wanting to work with actual startups, like post uh, pitch, work with those startups to help guide them. So we, you know, we've got uh, Cuckoo Eats is a food delivery company in the north in Jaffna. Um, there's another couple of guys who I'm working with who are developing this site called Urepali, which is like, a, you know, like an upwork for Sri Lanka. Nice. It's really cool, right? So working with these guys to like try to mentor them, push them, guide them towards building a product that we think will be competitive. And then now we're also working to, you know, uh, you know, find angel investors who can, you know, pr provide the funding required or the connections required. Sometimes it's as simple as getting them like AWS credit so they can have free web service for a little bit, right, as a startup. Um, and there's no accelerator space in, in Jaffa right now, so we're trying to create that as well, right? So really just helping empower the ecosystem in the North and East by um, educating and you know, uh, creating entrepreneurs, inspiring them and empowering them to actually run off. Um, because I think that that's the way you create true change and true economic empowerment is by enabling that. When we make one, you know, the, the, the Cuckoo Eats guy like Chris, you know, when we enable him, he's, he's hired up a team of like 10 people. When those guys scale up, they're gonna hire up 10 more people and that creates you know, a long lasting widespread change. And having a success story like him will also change the mindset of people there as well is that you're able to look at someone who looks like you in your space who's done well and all of a sudden it's feasible. Do you know what I mean? Like the way I feel about my career has changed so much because I've seen successful Tamil entrepreneurs come out of, you know, like we were talking about earlier, like the guys like Asayan Navaratnam or like Bayek Andabay, like the guys who grew up in Markham and Ellesmere, went to school with my brothers who are successful guys now, I can look at it and go, okay, I can become someone like that. And so we wanna create people like that in Jaffna and in the North, not just Jaffna, but like in the Northeast so that other, you know, Tamil kids growing up can look and go, oh, there's a successful guy. That's feasible. That's reasonable. I can get there. Yeah, yeah. There's like a light post, right? I don't have to leave the country and go to US or you know, UK to become successful. There's someone in my space two minutes down the street who did that. I can do that too. Right? We, that's the thing we want to create. We want to like inspire and empower people there. Absolutely. And that's, that's the real power of a network, right? Yeah. Of understanding that someone who looks like me, talks like me, who came up with the same kind of background yeah. as me, I have an understanding with has done this so I can use it as a framework for my own my own growth exactly that's so big like yeah I mean you grew up in Scarborough as well and we saw such a lack of that because when our people came here to develop everyone is developing at the same time yeah there wasn't much to draw from yeah. as like hey some member of my community has done this done that um, so it's hard to get out of that mindset of like oh you know we're all trying to find a fixed path right yeah but now I mean that's a great way of, kind of giving back to back home community is providing that and I mean, I was so surprised from more. I learned most of this from following you on Instagram, seeing your posts yeah. and hearing more of your I'm so glad to this. hear you say that because it was like, it was totally an experiment project for me. I didn't mm. know what we were going to like, I didn't know, I, I knew I wanted to share the story. And so I went back home and 
you know, it was a last minute decision. Mm. I had just resigned from Stack um, and I wanted to do something that added value back to the community. And I was really at that space in my mind where I was like, this is what I want to be doing. Um, so I decided to like, it was a, you know, a gunshot decision. I was like, cool, I'm booking a flight. We're going back home. We're going to do this thing. I'm going to work with these guys. I went back home. Uh, the, the Easter Sunday bombings kind of threw me off. You know, I like, I did not feel comfortable being there afterwards. In retrospect, I probably could have stayed, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, as a kid who grew up in Canada, like that just scared the hell out of me. Yeah, of course. And, but it gave me such a good appreciation for the way that, like, the mindset of people who are living there, um, and it gave me an appreciation for why sometimes hope is such a thin resource there, um, because, you know, everything's so shaky and everything's so like unstable, right? So we want to like try to provide that stability back into the environment and provide them with the support to let them know there are people around them who want to see them succeed, um, and who will be there for them. Perfect. And I mean, thank you again for coming on and sharing this journey. And uh, I think it's a great way to wrap up, ending on that note. Um, if there's any way that us or our community can really help with this kind of pro- progress, like process, uh, let us know. We'd yeah. love to talk more about that. Yeah, follow, follow us on Instagram. Uh, it's just at Aravanai, A-R-A-V-A-N-A-I, like the way you'd probably spell it phonetically. Perfect. Um, we're gonna st- we haven't started posting on that channel for a bit. We're going to start sharing a lot more. So you'll see that this is our website. It's in development, as you can probably tell. It's a Wix site right now. We're yeah. going to relocate the URL. So definitely a lot more stuff coming down the pipeline for us. Awesome. So definitely get involved. Uh, Are you guys on LinkedIn? Uh, I don't know. Is it on LinkedIn? I don't think it's on LinkedIn. I Should we be should on, get LinkedIn? on LinkedIn? 100%. Okay, I'm going to trust you. Yeah, let's do it. Definitely way more engagement on LinkedIn for okay. you guys, 100%. Because I think a lot of people are going to really drive with this, especially LinkedIn community. Yeah. And really help you drive in traffic. I love that. Thank you, man. We'll do, it. We'll do that. Awesome. Dude, Thank it's you. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you.